I will be turning to the 16th verse of Psalm 22. Psalm 22 and verse 16. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. In the last few passages that we have been examining, we have seen our Lord giving a description of the effects of the crucifixion upon his physical body. While we know there was much spiritual anguish going on as well as all of our sins were being placed upon him, and as he was facing the wrath of God, the fury of God upon him for our sins, we also have to be we also have to recognize that he did go through much physical agony on account of the crucifixion. So there were and are terrible uh, consequences, terrible and painful consequences of suffering upon the cross. And terrible they must surely uh, have been. And previous to this, in verses 12 down through verse 13, we noticed that he describes something of his enemies, something of their description as he's viewing them and how he uh, thinks upon them and, and the things of which they represent to him. And obviously, as we were examining those things, we saw that they were showing no pity uh, towards the Lord Jesus. They said uh, many cruel things towards him as he was there on the cross. Now, as we come to our passage this morning, it speaks here both of his enemies, how he views them at this point, and what they are doing. So let's read that again. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. Now, my method of handling this or opening up this passage is that I'll just simply look at the several clauses that are used here in this passage. I think that will be the easiest for me as I try to get it across, and I think it might be the easiest for you as you seek to hear the things that will be opening up from this passage. So the first thing I want us to notice, it says here, for, the do for dogs have compassed me. And here I've just entitled that simply the gathering of the dogs. Now here again, as we look at this passage of scripture, we're faced with a mode of interpretation. How are we going to interpret these passages? As we noted previously, uh, our Lord in this psalm has used the idea of animals. And uh, if you remember back in verse 6, he uses the idea of a worm, and then down in verse 12, we see that he uses bulls, and then verse 13, we see that he speaks of a lion. And here in our passage, in verse 16, he speaks of dogs. Now, he's going to do that again when we come down to verse 20, and also in verse 21, we see the last animal that I mentioned, and that is, of course, the unicorns. And so our question is this morning, are these actual and real animals, or are they used in a figurative sense? Now, what we have to do, obviously, is to look to the context and to look, to obviously, to other passages as well. But we 
also need to recognize that up to this point, all the animals that he's used thus far, he's used it in a figurative sense. Now, he spoke about worms, he spoke about bulls, and he spoke about lions. They are real, but he's using those real animals to depict something of which he is describing. You remember our Lord said he was a worm. Of course, we know that he really wasn't a worm, but he's taking on the likeness of a worm in his sufferings and his humiliation. When he uses the word bulls and he uses the word uh, lions, we know too that while they speak of real things, that they were not speaking here of anything of real lions and real bulls that were out in the crowds. But what he was doing, obviously, he's taking these animals, these particular animals, and taking the traits of those animals, and he's using those traits or their characteristics to describe something by which he is suffering or something that he is going through or something that he's observing there in the crowds. And so when we come to this passage here in verse 16, as we've seen in others, we can safely say then, while he may be thinking of a dog, in the sense the four-legged type of a creature, but in reality he's showing us something there that of that crowd that is depicting something of how dogs act, the characteristics of dogs. Now, it may be true, as our Lord glances out over the crowds, there may have been some wild dogs or domestic dogs that are out there. He could have seen that. And it may well have been, as he sees those things, that calls to his mind something of their relationship to those people that are standing there in the crowd. We don't, wouldn't deny that. We can't say that for certain because it's just not said here. But I'm just saying that's a possibility and not trying to uh, say much too much in that. Other than he's taking this animal dog here and he's trying to show us something about that crowd that reminds us of dogs. Now, let me show you, first of all, that we do know from the Scripture that dogs have been used not only in a real sense, but also in a physical, uh, spiritual sense or a figurative sense. For instance, in Revelation 22, verse 15, I do believe this is certainly in a figurative sense. And he says, for without our dogs, he's talking about the holy city, for without our dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. When Paul is warning the church there at Philippi regarding the men who would come in and try to deceive them, he calls them there dogs. And he tells the church there, beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. And so Paul is taking there something about these men that would remind them, of course, about dogs. And so he's saying that then you beware of those because they have some dog-like characteristics as they will be in and among you. So what is it about dogs that our Lord would use such a simile as that to describe something of this crowd? Again, he says, for dogs have compassed me. Well, there are several things that we will think about here in looking at this, and whether one of these things are true or two or three or all of them, uh, 
I can't say for certain other than these are some of the characteristics that the scripture gives us that remind us of dogs. First of all, a dog in the scripture was an unclean animal to the Jews. Now I know today that's not necessarily something people would think about when they think about their pet poodle or their pet doggy or whatever it is they may have. But it was in the Old Testament times, as far as a Jew was concerned, under the Mosaic law, they were considered an unclean animal. Now, if you read the description in the book of Moses or the law of Moses, you'll see that an unclean animal is discussed there. They're described and certainly then a dog would fall under that category of being an unclean animal. Now, an unclean animal in the Old Testament, the law of Moses, depicted something. It was a type of something. And I understand it to me, and whether anybody else does or not, that's, that's their business, but I understand that it was a type and a picture of a Gentile. Now, I realize there are those who say, well, those unclean animals meant that they were you know, they were uh, foods you just should stay away from because they were unhealthy. Well, the only thing that made those unclean foods unhealthy was when you were found out that you had eaten them and you had to be punished for them. But there was nothing intrinsic in those unclean animals that was unsafe or something that would have been sinfully uh, wrong to eat in and of themselves. They were a type of the Gentile. So, in the Old Testament, and even in the New Testament times, we will see this in a couple of verses, a Gentile to an Israelite was one that was seen basically as an unclean animal. It wasn't someone that they wanted to be around. They were practicing what, they go, what is going on today, social distancing with those Gentiles. And so they, they kept their distance from them. You remember the Apostle Peter learned the lesson about all of that in Acts chapter 10 when he had to go visit the household of Cornelius there. And as he's relating this, he said, And he said unto them, Ye know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Now, what's the context there? Well, Cornelius was an Italian, and of course, uh, God had told Peter to go to that household there and to preach. And, you know, Peter at first says, no way I'm going to do that, because after all, they're Gentiles. And so, God has to teach him this lesson. You remember the the sheet coming down out of the sky with those unclean animals in it. All that was representing then that the gospel was to go out unto the Gentiles. And so Peter says that then, that these were things that were unclean. In Acts chapter 11, when he has to rehearse this before the Jews of that day, uh, he says this in regards to that. And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was coming to, up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him, saying, Thou wentest into men uncircumcised, and didst eat with them. So this was a, a thing in their head, in their mind, that they were not to do. They were not to be around folks who were, who were Gentiles. 
Now, taking this back to our passage there in Psalm 22 and verse 16, we do know that there were some Gentiles in the crowd. Were there not? We know that there were Roman soldiers. They were the ones who literally had crucified the Lord Jesus. So there were Roman soldiers there. In fact, just two verses later in this psalm, we read this. He says, They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. And if you go to the New Testament, that's a reference to where that the Roman soldiers were arguing and gambling over, or casting lots anyway, over who was going to receive the clothing of the Lord Jesus. So this is a, this is a reference them to them as dogs, as being Gentiles, the Roman soldiers there. The second thing that dogs can remind us of is that they're likened, they're like lions who are ready to devour when they're hungry. You know, back in verse 13, we read that about they gaped upon me with their mouths. And as a, I don't know if I get it right, revenant, roaring lion. So they were set to kill. Well, dogs in the wild especially can be like that, a pack of dogs. In uh, 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 36, we read about a Jezebel and how that she was to die and how that even the dogs would be... <coughs> eating her, especially her blood. It says, Wherefore they came again and told him, and he said, This is the word of the Lord. And he spake by his servant Elijah the Tishbite, saying, In the portion of Jezreel shall dogs eat up the flesh of Jezebel. So they can be just as ravenous as lions as they are hunting and packing in a a pack together and they surround their, uh, their prey, they will tear into them. I don't know if anybody's ever been attacked by a dog. It's not a fun and pleasant thing. It's a bad thing. It's a harmful thing. It's a dangerous thing. And there were bloodthirsty men who were standing around the cross at that day. They were ready to, figuratively say, to eat the flesh of our Lord Jesus. They were ready to tear Him apart, waiting for His death. Isaiah 56, 11 says, Yea, they are greedy dogs, which can never have enough. And they are shepherds that cannot understand. They all look to their own way for everyone for his gain from his quarter. If that doesn't describe the Pharisees that were standing there, what would? They were like greedy dogs ready to tear. You ever seen a pack of dogs attack something? They're not ready to share it. They don't say, well, here's a piece for you, here's a piece for you, Rover, and here's a piece for you, Fifi. There's nothing like that at all. They're all each for their own as they tear it up. This is how they were to our Lord Jesus. They were ready to kill Him. Jeremiah 15.3 says, And I will appoint over them four kinds, saith the Lord, the sword to slay, the dogs to tear, and the fowls of the heaven and the beasts of the earth to devour and destroy. So this is a known characteristic then of such animals. Not only that, they like to eat fresh meat. It's not to say they won't eat dead meat, but they really like fresh meat. Second Kings chapter 22, verse 38 And one washed the chariot in the pool of Samaria, 
And the dogs licked up his blood, and they washed his armor according unto the word of the Lord which he spake. It was the death of Ahab being described here. And he's not very long cold before the dogs come in and they're just simply licking up his blood because they love fresh killed things. And here this describes the dogs or the enemies of our Lord out there in the crowd. They were all very anxious for his death. They were waiting for the moment in which he would die, he would perish. Just like dogs. The fourth thing we can note here is that they can and they will, if in a pack, surround their victims waiting for the kill. You notice it says there, for dogs have compassed me. The word compassed means to encircle. And this is what they were doing. They were gathered around him. They compassed him, meaning that they encircled him about, ready for him to die. Again, that's a characteristic. Psalm uh, 59, verse 6. They return at evening. They make a noise like a dog and go round about the city. So with our Lord's here hanging on the cross, we have these vicious dogs, these men who are surrounding him giving him no way of escape and as they're waiting for him and, and to come in for the kill or to eat the freshly slain Lord. So they fit pretty aptly about a dog, don't they? The second thing he says here is that the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. Now, this second clause really enforces what we said there at the very beginning, at the first one, the things that we just stated. The dogs there represent the wicked and evil men who have gathered against the Lord. They're waiting here for his death and so forth. And this is what he says, secondly, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. He's just describing what he just said before. There he uses the imagery of dogs. Here, he goes back to the fact that they're wicked. They're likened to a pack of wild dogs attacking the Lord Jesus, and they're gathered against him. And you know, this wasn't the first time that men had assembled about him, wicked men, in order to have gain upon him. You remember as he preached there in the land of Israel at that time. He would have men gather around him. But not only just people who were willing to hear, but even the wicked were there to gainslay him, to catch him at his word. So they were assembled against him even then. Also when they would come to him and question him and trying to trip him up with some of the answers that he would give them, the questions that they asked. And they would gather there. And it was wicked men, you remember, who came to the garden that evening as he was praying. And they surrounded him and they took him. Also, they surrounded him when he was there in the courts, whether it was the civil court or the religious courts. And there they, they gave counsel against him to put him to death. 
And then now at his death, they're gathered against him as well. The text here says that evil, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. Think uh, for a moment of the contrast in that, of that phrase here. He says, the assembly of the wicked, the wicked have enclosed me. Think of a great contrast that lies in these words and what was going on there. You notice they're described here as wicked, the wicked. In other words, these were evil men. They had evil intents. They were vile, sinful creatures. But Christ, who's hanging there on the cross, is sinless. These men are wicked wrongdoers, evildoers, breakers of the law of God. And yet here is one who's hanging before them who is sinless. The one who knew no sin. Jesus Christ, who was tempted in all points as we are, except without sin. He had no sin about Him. Here are men who were conceived in in, in sin, born in sin, lived in sin, practiced sin. And yet here is the Son of God on the cross who was spotless, holy, and without guile. Here again, note another great contrast. As dogs, of course, they were depicted here as being mean and, and ferocious. Fierce like the lions and the bulls that we had been discussing here. And yet, here is our Lord Jesus who is harmless. Doesn't even revile back when they're reviling Him. Hebrews 7.26, For such an high priest became us who is homely, or excuse me, holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. What a contrast is that? The wicked are assembled against Him. Yet here's the Holy One of Israel, never done any wrong, falsely being accused, hanging on the cross for the sins of His people. It should have been them upon the cross. It should have been they who were suffering because they were wicked men. Jesus is only accounted so. But they really were. And then notice thirdly, he says, they pierced my hands and my feet. They pierced my hands and my feet. Now there are several things that are related to us in this particular phrase. First of all, we know this is in reference to Jesus Christ. It's Christ, of course, who is on the cross here. We know that His hands and His feet were pierced as He was nailed to the cross. But there could be no doubt here that this is referring to Jesus Christ. There is a New Testament writer, for instance, John, who testifies to this very thing. In John chapter 20, verse 25, you remember uh, the disciples were gathered around the Lord Jesus and there was one Thomas who had doubted. He said, you know, except I put my hands in his side and I touch the scars in his hands, you know, I won't believe this. 
Well, Jesus appears. And the other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. What's that implying there? It's implying what the psalmist says here, Jesus says in Psalm 22, verse 16, They pierced my hands and my feet. In John chapter 19, verse 37, the scripture here records, they shall look on him whom they had, they pierced. Whom they pierced. And Jesus says here, they pierced my hands and my feet. So we know that's a reference then here to Christ. The second thing it denotes is that it speaks of his manner of death, that is, his crucifixion. They didn't just simply tie someone to the cross. They nailed him to the cross. They drove the nails or the spikes through his feet and through his hands in order to secure him upon the cross. This was something of the cruelty, you see, of the cross. To think that the nails going in your hands and your feet and then being hoisted up on the cross, placed down in it, and that just the weight of all of that upon those wounded extremities already. How terrible that must have been. Mark 15, 24 says, And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, whatever man should take. Luke 23, 33, And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the male factors, one on the right and the other on the left. So it speaks something here of the cruelty of his death as well. But you know, this was something, not only is it prophesied here, as we believe this as well to be a prophecy, but it's also prophesied in the book of Zechariah chapter 12. So this is many years after David, but still many years before Christ shows up on the scene there in the land of Israel. Zechariah 12 verse 10 says, I will pour upon the house of David... And upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son. And shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. They shall look upon him whom they have pierced. That was what John was quoting, by the way, in John chapter 19 a few moments ago. The third thing it shows is something of the wickedness and the evilness of his enemies. You notice they're called here the wicked. The wicked have enclosed me, as he says earlier. But here we see something of the fact that they are wicked. This demonstrates for us. This is the consequence, as we would say, the working out of their wickedness, of their evilness. They pierced his hands and his feet. There may have been other ways to do this, but they chose to do that. Of course, they did that because it was the fulfillment of Scripture. But that's what they used. They pierced his hands and his feet. That's just nothing more than the outworking of their wicked hearts to cause more pain, more suffering upon the Lord. These dogs, these wicked evil men and crucifying 
the Lord of glory. This shows us something here of the depths of depravity that would drive men, as they did here, to crucify the Lord Jesus. How bad must the heart be to do that? What hatred these sinful and these wicked individuals had towards the sinless Son of God. The reason they hated Him, because He was the sinless Son of God. They knew who He was. Remember Nicodemus came to Him at night? We know Thou art of God. You see, they knew who He was. They knew He was the Lord of glory. And yet they crucified Him anyway. Blinded by their sins. And so forth. Well, in closing, let me draw, really I just have one application of this, and it goes on what we just got through saying there about the evil and the wickedness of man, these men's heart, is that we need to make sure we mark our hearts, that we make sure that we guard our hearts. Because you know, in reality, the very same heart, the very same nature that those men possessed we have it too. We have it as well, Christian. We were born dead in trespasses and in sins. We were conceived in sin. We, as an all point, lived like sinners up till the grace of God arrested us. But that's us. That's us. You see, we are just as much fallen sons of Adam as those Jews and those Romans that were crucifying the Lord Jesus that day were sons of Adam with a fallen nature, just as they were. And it's only by the restraint of God that we wouldn't follow in their path. If we would have been there that day, and if we were in that crowd, and if the grace of God had not touched us, we would have been cheering on the crucifixion of Christ. Yes, us. And we can sit here thinking all smug thoughts about ourselves, but I assure you, apart from the grace of God, the restraint of God, we'd have been doing it. Why? Because we're just like them. There's absolutely nothing different in us except the grace of God. Psalm 76, verse 10 came to my mind as I was thinking about that. It says, Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee. The remainder of wrath shall thou restrain. God's going to take the wrath of man and use it to glorify himself, as he did here. And that which will not, or that which will be for whatever reason, he restrains it. He's able to put it down. He's able to lay hold of it and stop it. You see, that's what he did in us. That's what he's done in us. So, gives us something to think about as we look over these words of Psalm 22 and verse 16. So we'll stop there. Lord willing, we will take up verse 17 next time. And may God bless that to us.